Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And again, welcome back to Horror Month, where we talk about a lot of horror movies that I believe need a little more love in the world. And uh, this episode is really near and dear to my heart because I could not feel more strongly about this episode. And I will uh, tell you why when we get into it. Uh, The movie we'll be talking about is the 1999 phenomenon, The Blair Witch Project, which at one time was one of the biggest movies of all time. And then the backlash started. And oh boy. Okay. I got to say, there's a a feature on old Saturday Night Live episodes called Spittin' Mad Commentary, where Mary Gross will show up and she's so angry about something, she's spittin' mad. That's me in this episode. I'm so furious that the Blair Witch Project is not as loved as I believe it should be. So here we go. This is going to be my fun first spitting mad episode in quite a while. Uh, my guest for this one, I uh, have a treat for you because she is a podcaster. She is, let's see, a storyteller and a uh, film podcaster from Seattle. And we kind of know each other just generally through the survivor community, but really more so through Letterboxd, where we follow each other and read each other's reviews. So I kind of recruited her to come on here and talk about Blair Witch because I know she loves it. So welcome to Staff Picks for the first time, Casey Rom. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, Casey, this is so exciting. I have I have been looking forward to a Blair Witch episode for the longest time on Staff Picks. You have no idea. Oh, man. I Yeah, it's really exciting because I think – as you said, it's underappreciated and it's so crucial in like the canon of horror and found footage and our deep seated fears of the woods. Yeah. Again, I just, I've never not been disappointed by this movie and I'm always horrified that so many people don't seem to like it and are very vehement about the way they don't like it. Have you noticed that Mm -hmm. as well? Yes, absolutely. I think that, People say, oh, the film quality is poor, or it's just a bunch of people arguing, or nothing actually happens. And to me, that's like, you could say the same thing about Jaws. You know, you could say the same thing about all of these movies that everyone routinely agrees is high quality. And I just don't understand what happened. This was the, you know, the best selling indie movie of all time. And then everyone was just like, eh, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, so give us a little background on who you are, because for people who are listening, I'm kind of meeting Casey for the first time. We kind of only know each other through the Internet. So tell us, especially me, a little about your background here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I grew up in a small town in eastern Washington state, and um, so I grew up camping and um, going into the woods, and my first favorite movie was Jurassic Park, so I was always kind of into horror, Um, and as I got older and my parents stopped gatekeeping what I was allowed to watch, um, I got even more into it. So I was pretty young when this movie came out. I think I was nine or ten. Um, so I did not get to watch this one in theaters, which I think is one of the great tragedies of my life. Um, but I did have an older sister who would, you know, help choose the rental movies for the family based on what she thought I would like. And so I think I watched this uh, maybe about a year later 
after it came out uh, with my whole family. Um, and it just absolutely terrified me. <laughs> so how old approximately were you when you saw it? I think I was about 10 or 11, so I was still pretty young, and me and my friends, you know, growing up in a small town, you're bored a lot, and one of the things that we liked to do was make, like, parody films of some things we liked. Um, one of the ones we would do was we would do The Price is Right, but the joke was The Price is Wrong, and one of our probably most iconic that has been lost in a box in someone's basement for decades was a recreation of the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> what was the parody? What was the what was the hook? Um, you know, I think it was just that we were being really obvious about what the actual danger was. Like you would catch someone's hand shaking the tent. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was purposeful or low production quality. I was consistently the younger sister tag along, and so I don't think I was a decision maker at the time. <laughs> So you were the Mike of the group. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, to put this movie in perspective for people, this movie came out in 1999. And I've always said this is something I say on Staff Picks a lot. 1999 was, I think, the best year for movies, at least my personal favorite year for movies. It was. It seemed like a huge, you know, legacy-inducing movie was coming out every single week that year in 1999. And I always say The Blair Witch Project was the biggest movie of that, that summer. So, like... Of the biggest movie year of my lifetime, this was the biggest movie that year. So that's what I really hope to put into perspective. And I know, Casey, unfortunately, you missed that because you didn't see it in the theater. Yeah, but I know I know the lore of 1999 film. Like, for example, I know this is the year The Matrix came out. Um, and so there was a lot of competing, you know, entities for our attention. And this one was 100% part of the zeitgeist. Like, even before I had seen it, I knew about the scene where she flips the camera on herself and it's a super close up of her nose. Like I knew that that scene even before I'd seen the movie. It was so proliferated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, this just like the Matrix, that's actually a good comparison because Matrix came out and it was so big and then everything became a Matrix parody to the point that it became not funny real quick. Mm -hmm. And this happened the same thing happened with Blair Witch. Everything became a Blair Witch parody after that and it quickly uh diluted the impact of the movie a little bit, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you talk to a horror fan that's, let's say, around our ages, they're going to probably have a couple favorite found footage films. And this certainly wasn't the first, but it did really reinvigorate that subgenre of horror. It was it it wasn't super popular. And now most horror movies, you know, have a found footage element to them or you have something like Paranormal Activity, which was also seen as this like really successful indie movie <laughs> almost, you know, 15 years later. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely have, something we have to talk about when it comes to this movie, the fact that it was found footage and kind of the first of its kind. Now, I I hope you kind of know the backstory because you may have had to live this to really understand it. Like, have you read about the impact of the internet on this movie and how this movie kind of impacted the internet as well? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, there was a lot of layers to this being real. A lot of people didn't know if these were actors, if this really happened because they released all of this information and they created 
an entire lore around this movie. And this was kind of an era of the internet where it wasn't easy to fact check. Mm -hmm. And so people believed it. And, you know, the interviews in the actual film with the townspeople feel very real to someone like me who grew up in a small town with its own legends. Yeah. It's, I'm glad you've done the research. Um, So I have listeners out there who probably 19, 20, 21 who are listening to this and are probably wondering, Okay, what's the big deal with the Blair Witch Project? I've seen it, and it's not that scary. Now, first yeah. off, yeah, first off, you're wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah. Secondly, and I'll tell you why later. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I, I bet my answer will be very similar to yours, but we'll talk about that. But the thing with this movie is a lot of people think the Internet started with social media, like 2006, 7, 8, and that's like the advent of the Internet. And that's yeah. incorrect. The Internet was around in the mid to late 90s, and it was thriving, and it wasn't quite what you know of the Internet now. But this movie tied into the Internet, and I would call this probably the first big Internet movie where they had a big campaign on the Internet that basically said, these people really died, and here's the footage of them dying. And there was no hint whatsoever that it was just a movie. And yeah. that's why, that's the one thing people need to remember about this movie, or at least keep in mind if you're learning from the first time, the Internet and the marketing was a, was a huge part of this movie and why it was as big as it was. Yeah, and I think, you know, that really carries over into some other films of that era um, that I think really tried to recreate that. I remember as a young emo teen spending a lot of time on the website for Donnie Darko, and it had these kind of time travel elements. And I think that you can definitely point at Blair Witch Project as an inspiration for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not just the inspiration, it's the king of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, This you really have to put yourself in 1999 to really understand the impact of the movie. And here's one thing, I don't know if you, you might not know this one, Casey, because this might surprise you. So this movie came out in 1999 in June, I forget when. And I remember Entertainment Weekly, the, you know, the big movie magazines, the king of all, the Bible of all media in America, Within a month of this movie coming out, had already named it, I think, like the seventh scariest movie of all time. Oh, wow. And that, that, my friend, is where the backlash started. Because <laughs> I, it was a big problem. I don't know if you can call it like the number seven, eight movie, scary movie of all time. Within a month of it coming out. And after that, the backlash was huge against this movie and people turned against it. And that's, that's kind of the problem that we're going to talk about here. Yeah, and, you know, I would say, I, I referenced it earlier, but Paranormal Activity was probably, you know, the movie like this that I was most aware of. I was, you know, in my late teens, I was really into horror, and I remember the marketing for that movie leaned really heavily on it being just absolutely terrifying, mm -hmm. and I remember that a similar backlash to people being like, it's not that scary, <laughs> and to me... While being scary is an important element of a horror movie, it's not the only important element of a horror movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I mean, just on the creativity alone, I would have done a staff picks on this ep uh, episode on this movie, just because there had never been anything like it at the time. Mm -hmm. And then we get into the scariness of it, which is a whole different argument. Now, hopefully you'd agree with me, or, or maybe you can correct me if I phrase this incorrectly. I would say this is a scary movie, but it's a different type of scary. Yeah, it's a it's an anxious movie to me is probably the word I would give it. I rewatched it with my whole family maybe about a year ago. I have much younger siblings and so when my family gets together we like to introduce them to movies that they have probably missed. 
And I could feel in all of my siblings this anxiety around getting lost in the woods that was so strong because if you've ever been on a road trip with my family, you've definitely gotten lost at some point. And, and everybody's, you know, just tense and on the edge. And that feeling just sticks with you through the whole movie. You, you never get a break from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I describe it to people. Similar, obviously, I've not been on a road trip with your family. <laughs> but, but it's like you spend all the whole movie, you know something bad's going to happen. And you're waiting for that jump scare or for that moment of release where they release the tension and it never comes. And mm -mm. it makes it almost unbearable to watch. Like I've always said, this is the most uncomfortable movie I ever saw in a theater. Like I almost could not sit and watch the nighttime scenes. It was too much for me. Mm -hmm. But that's what a lot of people don't like because you never get the release. There's never actually a reveal. You don't see a scary monster. So you never get the release. And some people say it's not scary because you never get that. And I'd argue just the opposite. Because you never get that, it's almost intolerable to sit through this movie. It's too much. Yeah, and I think another measure that me and my sister often use when we watch horror movies is what is the point in the movie where we have recognized the danger and escaped? Mm -hmm. And there's no moment in this movie where I would have gotten myself out of this situation if I was one of these people. They're lost and they're, you know, bound by a potential curse that has them running in circles and creepy things are happening around them. And by the time they realize something's wrong, it's already too late. And I think that, you know, a lot of times you can put yourself as a proxy in a horror movie and find a moment when the characters make a dumb decision that you wouldn't have made. And there's not really anything like that here except for maybe not pursuing journalism. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to follow up on a question you or you a subject you mentioned earlier where you said there's a certain thing about this movie that you think makes it scary to you. Yeah, I think the main thing is that I find getting lost in the woods to be just absolutely terrifying and I I grew up around the woods. I grew up, you know, in nature and I think that you have to have a healthy fear of nature in order to survive it. And ultimately, like I said, there's not really a moment where they do anything particularly wrong. They just are in the elements. And whether you watch this movie through the lens of the Blair Witch is real or you watch it through the lens of the Blair Witch is not real, you still can't pretend that they're not in danger. Yeah, that is a fantastic answer. And that's going to tie into something I was just about to say is that I don't even think you need the scary elements in this movie to be scary. Mm -mm. And I was, I was going to say, Casey and I grew up in the same general region of the country, both from Washington state. The most scared I have ever been in my life is I used to go to summer camp out in the Cascades. It's a place called Camp Don Bosco. I think it's in uh, Snoqualmie or something, somewhere around there. And I remember the first year I was out there and they take you out in the middle of the woods and you have cabins and stuff. The first time I was ever out in the woods and my flashlight ran out of batteries. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm almost <laughs> having you know palpitations thinking about it. I was like 10 years old. People don't realize if you've never been in the woods. And again, as Washingtonians, we know the woods. Half of our state is woods. Mm -hmm. There is no light in the woods. There's no ambient light. There's no sunlight. There's no stars. If it's dark and you have no flashlight, there is nothing. And you've never experienced that before. Yeah. And suddenly when you can't see anything every sound becomes so heightened that any twig cracking that's probably a chipmunk 
could be a bear or an axe murderer Mm -hmm. or, you know, what have you. And so your senses are just on fire when that, when you're in that situation, I go camping, you know, my family has a cabin and it's, it's a cabin. A lot of people use cabin when they mean lake house and that's not what it is. (laughs) It's, you know, no electricity. um, And there's a common restroom that we have to walk to. And if I have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, we have like a buddy system because none of us feel comfortable walking alone. I've been going there since I was six (laughs) years old. (laughs) Well, yeah, like you said, every little crack or creak or noise in the woods at night could be an animal. I'm going to correct you. Everyone is an animal. You just don't see them. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what the one thing I want to get across to this movie is there's scenes in this movie where it starts getting dark. It starts getting dusk. And like, it's such a primal fear of being in the woods in the dark all alone that even if there's no Blair Witch in this movie, I can almost not watch this movie. Even now at age 48, I was watching it today. I'm like, I don't like these nighttime scenes. I don't want these nighttime scenes to start because they remind me too much of the greatest fear of my life, which is that dark woods. Yeah. And on top of that, you have, you know, a group of people that are not necessarily best friends. Um, they're together by circumstance, so they're maybe not super comfortable with each other. And I think the, the beauty of the horror of this movie is that there's just layers on layers on layers. Like they're there on a mission. And so they lose sight of simple survival skills. They are not best friends. And so they don't necessarily know how to have conflict resolution within their group, which leads to a lot of fighting, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is only going to stress you out more when you're in a bad situation. It just struck me right now. We have not actually explained what the plot of this movie is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm assuming most of you have seen this movie. But if you have not, if you're one of my younger viewers, and you've never come across this movie. It's a found footage movie, and basically it's really simple. It's probably the most simple movie I've ever done on Staff Picks, that uh, in 1994, three student filmmakers went out in the woods to research a local legend, and they disappeared. They were never found. And then two years later, we found their footage. This is their footage. And that's that's the whole plot, right? Yeah. And even, you know, if you dig into the the footage, it's basically – these three students who are making a documentary are lost in the woods. Creepy things happen that may or may not be related to this myth. And at the end, you don't really know what happens, but none of them make it back. Yeah, you do know that going in. We're not spoiling this. They will not be coming out. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's even one of the wonderful things I remember about this movie is that the Internet Movie Database literally listed the actors as missing, presumed dead for the first month when this movie was out, which is so cool. Yeah. And, you know, coming it, it's so clear now to me how much paranormal activity borrowed from this movie because they even use the actors names in paranormal activity (laughs) to make it seem like it might be real (laughs) yeah let's okay we're going to go into the plot of this movie because this is a fun one but i do want to talk about the making of this movie how they made it because like you and i probably already know this but i bet a lot of listeners might not realize how much of this movie they were just pulling out of their butt on the fly yeah, it was heavily improved. You know, the the actors have said since once it was revealed that they truly were actors and they could kind of do press that the stress was real and the arguments were often real and they were tired. And I think they filmed in like 20 days or less. 
I think it was eight days, if I recall. Eight days, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they literally just took three improv actors. They said, okay, here's the script. It's like 30 scenes. Go out in the woods. And as you're out in the woods, kind of make up your own dialogue, film your own scenes, and uh, we're going to mess with you. That's what the filmmaker said. We're just going to mess with you and just react to us. It's like people who like to go to those super realistic haunted houses. <laughs> <laughs> which is me <laughs> <laughs> well it's crazy as this movie goes along heather donahue in particular the star like when i'm listening to her i don't think she's acting when she's hyperventilating and she's like screaming i think the filmmakers are just scaring the absolute crap out of her and that's her real reaction and like that's what i think makes this movie so scary it feels very real she feels very desperate and her screams do not seem fake to me at all no and the the kind of you know, famous scene where she turns the camera on herself and apologizes for everything that's happened. That feels very real to me too. And, you know, it might not be as dire as the events of the movie, but I feel like the actors were probably pretty exhausted by that point. <laughs> and um, that, you know, that brings out a lot of emotion. And the fact is they were still in the woods at night with scary noises happening around them. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. They were scared, and that's what you pick up as a as a watcher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, uh, I have to I have to share a very famous story here. Uh, hopefully, you've heard this one. But uh, so Stephen King, famous horror author Stephen King, he was hit by a car some point in ninety eight, ninety nine, I forget, and he was in rehab. He had to stay in his room and rehab his leg because he had a broken leg and all this stuff. So his son would bring him all these movies to watch while Stephen King was laid up. Legend has it the one movie Stephen King could not finish was The Blair Witch Project because he oh, said, wow. he said it's too scary. Please turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, you know, Stephen King is obviously a legend and for a reason. And that's one of those things. If I look at a book and, and Stephen King's reviewed it, I'm more likely to pick it up. When he has positive things to say about a horror movie, I'm more excited to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for so all the people out there who thinks the Blair Witch Project sucks and it's not scary, just know Stephen King disagrees with you vehemently. Well, I hang out with a lot of um, film types, let's say, and a lot of the criticism that I hear is that, oh, you know, the camera quality is bad and it's hard to watch because it looks so crappy. And I think about it and I'm like, that only you know, leaned into the reality of it because the reality is three college students would not have, mm -hmm. you know, cinema level cameras at their disposal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the point of the movie. It's supposed to look crappy. Yeah. And I think that only made it better because it genuinely feels like you could have found this, you know, I think about like finding the game in Jumanji, like finding this video footage in some creepy location at the it, at a riverbed, it, it fell downstream and you happened upon it and you look at it, or the video from the ring. You know, these are horror tropes for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was uh, I actually own the DVD, so I was watching it today, watching some of the special features and they have some extra scenes that were not included in the movie. And the extra scenes are much higher quality. They're like, they look like real video, like you're like a real oh, movie. Wow. So, but it takes you out of the movie because it looks too clean and too colorful. And so that's what I don't think a lot of people realize. They shot this on high quality film and they degraded the quality of the film to make it look real for the movie. So that's intentional. Yeah. And you could either, you could either see that as the equipment they had was bad to begin with, or this footage has been corrupted in the two years that it's 
been sitting somewhere in the woods. <laughs> and both of those are more realistic and scarier. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I've heard that criticism as well, that the film quality isn't high. I've heard, you know, nothing scary happens. There's no reveal, which is true. These are all real criticisms. I just don't think they really override how good the movie is. Now, my brother, my brother had a criticism. It made him motion sick. Yes, and I I got that from um, my mother as well, and I think that's one benefit that maybe I had to not seeing this in theaters mm -hmm. is that it's a lot more digestible on a big screen TV than you know a giant silver screen. Um, but I think that you know even if you need a break and you close your eyes, you can still feel the fear and participate in the movie. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I, I was actually counting diff different scenes in the movie today, how many would make someone motion sick. There's only about two, really, where people are running in the dark and the camera's shaking. And the big one is right at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. So, like, I've heard that argument, this movie makes people motion sick. I don't necessarily buy it, because there's not that much of the movie that would actually do that. Like, if you close your eyes for 10 seconds, you can get past that. So, yeah, I personally think that's kind of a cop-out people use, because they... This movie scared them. They didn't want to admit it. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> okay, uh, man, we got so much trivia about this movie, but I want to talk about the plot. Okay, we'll save kind of the trivia for the ending. Although I do want to tease you with one. Did you hear that Heather Donahue changed her name because of this movie? No, was she just like harassed too much? <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that she got harassed a lot. She had a hard time finding roles because she played herself in this movie. And she just had a hard time finding work. So she changed her name, and I think she sells medical marijuana now, if I recall. Oh, well, well, good for her. <laughs> yeah, but she had a rough time. And I think all the actors personally had a rough time with this movie. It looks like it was a nasty shoot. Well, and even the directors, I was looking at their filmography, and, and there's a couple things of note, but nothing that, you know, captured the people like this one. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, I, I, I think we kind of hinted at this earlier. You said this is one of the most profitable movies of all time. I think at the time this was the most profitable movie of all time. I think it's since been passed, but I think the original filming budget was like $40,000 mm -hmm. and they made 258 million or something like that. Yeah. So in the director's and producer's defense, they really probably didn't have to work again after that. Yeah. <laughs> An impossible standard. Just call it good. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to top that. Yeah. Okay. I got to say one more thing before we go into the plot of this movie to just to, you know, reinforce for people how affecting this movie is for people. So, so I'm a very sensitive person. I, some people say they're empaths, like they can pick up other people's energy. I actually am an empath. Like, I cannot be around people who are angry, who are in pain, who have birth defects or injuries. Like, I can literally feel it. So I'm very sensitive to picking up, like, uh, fear and vibes and stuff like this. So this movie is so uncomfortable for me to watch because you can tell that the actors are scared. Yeah. And it really comes through to me. And I will actually say this today. This is a little too much personal information, but... I have anxiety like a lot of people. I take uh, SSRI drugs, which are for anxiety. And I happen to just start a cycle this week. So when you start SSRI drugs, what they do is they amp up your anxiety so you're even more tense and alert than you normally are, like the first couple of days. So I literally watch Blair Witch Project as me being an empath as I'm on SSRI anxiety overload. So like this movie was so powerful when I was watching it today. It literally gave me a stomach ache. Like I I had wobbly legs. That's how much it was affecting me. Oh man. Yeah, and I can believe it and it's a a real blessing to us that it's one of the shortest movies. <laughs> 
at a clean 82 minutes. <laughs> yeah, 82. Very short, but again, really effective. And again, some people really love this type of movie. Some people really hate it. Hopefully, Casey and I can sell you on why you should be the type that really love it. Yes. Okay, so I will leave it to you to open the movie. We just start with the uh, the little uh, description of the filmmakers dying, right? They have a little title card. Yes, um, title card to start it out. And so you're already prepared to come into this movie with, you know, a, an edge of mystery. What happened? What are we going to see? And for a lot of people watching this, especially in theaters, is this real? Yeah, that is the case. People have to remember that. People... Like 90% of people who watch this for the first time in the theater thought this was real, thought this was actual footage of people dying, thought this was basically a snuff film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so here's the opening title card. It says, in October of 1994, three student filmmakers disappeared in the woods near, New near Burkittsville, Maryland, while shooting a documentary. A year later, their footage was found, dot, dot, dot. And here we go. We just meet our three stars who will literally be pretty much the only three actors in the whole movie. Yeah, you get a couple in the in the very beginning scenes of the film. You get a couple kind of like man on the street interviews with the locals of this town who describe the legend. But for the most part, we are sticking with these three. OK, so describe who our three characters are, starting with Heather. Yeah, so Heather is um, kind of the. I don't know if she's actually the director, but she really seems to be the one in charge, um, which I appreciate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, although I will admit, she's a little overbearing, which I guess is the point. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she, she is forever pushing these two guys into their project, marching into the woods to film footage. And again, that character's name is Heather Donahue. She's played by an actor named Heather Donahue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everyone really did think this was just somebody who died at the time because the producers really laid her low after the filming and wouldn't let her do interviews. So everyone thought she died. So we got Heather, the leader, and then who are the two others? Um, so we have Josh. Um, and he – I find it really hard to – differentiate the two men honestly <laughs> how dare you but you know, no, I, you know i understand yeah there's heather and her two sidekicks we could say yeah basically <laughs> um josh and michael um josh is the uh cameraman for the most part um and he is also the first of the group to kind of disappear yeah and then mike is the sound guy he does all the sound yes and really so we get the sense of the movie again it's hard to describe this movie if you've never seen it because it's all shot in first person. It's a kind of an odd movie in that the actors were also doing all the filming, which I, I'm not sure I've ever seen that before. Yeah, and, and because of that, maybe that's why I find it hard to differentiate the two actors because a lot of time Josh is off screen because he's behind the camera. Mm -hmm. And so you hear his voice, but you don't really spend a lot of time with him in front of the camera. Yeah, I hate to say this, but the guys are so interchangeable in this movie, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, just, it's Heather's show, and we have some fodder with them. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> okay, yeah, so they're all kind of meeting for the first time. They're college students in Maryland, I'd assume, and uh, Heather's spearheading this project. They are going out into the woods to do a documentary on the Blair Witch, which... I have a very delicate question for you here, Casey. Yes. <laughs> have you ever noticed this movie isn't quite isn't quite a hundred percent exact what its mythology actually is? Yeah, actually, I did notice that. Um, they 
you know, when they're interviewing the townspeople, you hear a little bit about um, this hermit named Rustin Parr, who they believe kidnapped seven children in the 40s and killed them in the basement. And this is where you get this idea of murdering them in pairs. So one stands in the corner while the other gets murdered, um, which does come up later in the movie. But then they also talk about a young girl who went missing in the late 1800s. So this is like old lore. Mm -hmm. Um, And she returned three days later and talked about an old woman whose feet never touched the ground. Um, And then there's a third legend where – and they and they do hike to this location called Coffin Rock, where five men were found ritualistically murdered, um, and then their bodies later disappeared. So these three things are maybe related, maybe not related. They're so old that it's not even clear if they happened. But I think that that really works in the favor of this movie to me, because there's enough there to believe that these people would want to go look into this this fable. And there's also enough of that kind of small town, you know, lack of clarity <laughs> <laughs> that really just resonated with me. The the on the street interviews is one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Most people remember those. Those are fun. But yeah, the, the mythology in this movie is not very specific. And it, if you, you have to kind of pay attention to notice that I think they must have cut some stuff out or left some scenes out because, again, the movie is about the Blair Witch. That's the legend. But if you listen to the stories, not all of them involve a witch. One of them is just some guy who killed kids in the woods. Like, there's no witch in that story. I don't know how the witch got involved in that. Well, and I think what's interesting is, because I didn't grow up in New England, I'm not super up to speed on witch lore. Most of what I know is from movies like Hocus Pocus or, um, you know, the, the stories of, like, the Scarlet Letter era. Um, and so I'm aware of some of the lore, but I don't have that same background that someone who's actually from Maryland or Pennsylvania might have, Mm -hmm. but I think there's just kind of a tendency to blame witches for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. See, we're from Washington. We blame Bigfoot for everything. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or serial killers. (laughs) Or serial killers. That's right. Yeah. I grew up in Ted Bundy land, so I understand that all too well. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh. Yeah, so it's these three filmmakers. They've heard about the legend of the Blair Witch, which may or may not involve a witch. We're not sure. And Heather is leading them out into the into the town, this town of Burkittsville, which used to be called Blair. There's a lot of uh, exposition at the start. I, I have to say I love the scene where Heather, our leader, is sitting in the uh, Burkittsville Cemetery or in front of the sign, and she has to read her little prepared speech to the camera. And I love her little camera voice. She's got this pretentious camera voice when she's when she's doing the movie. Like, this is Burkittsville, formerly Blair. Like, she she totally changes her voice when she's when she's uh, putting the movie together. Yeah, I love that. Um, I grew up, you know, in a in a radio station. My dad ran the local radio station in my small town, and he does sports casting. And so I grew up knowing the difference between my dad's radio voice and his speaking voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's something that's actually really interesting about podcasts and this era of audio is that I don't think I change my voice. <laughs> and I think that's a little mystifying to some of the the radio people of yesteryear. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay, I will say this. Yeah, I met Casey for the first time today, right before this call, and your voice does not change. You are correct. 
Yes. <laughs> I try to be natural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny because my, my normal voice would be like down here and I talk really quiet. But for a podcast, I have to almost scream like this because just to be just to project. So, yes. yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> okay, so these three kids who only vaguely know each other, they're not really friends, right, going into this apparently? No, I don't get the impression. Um, there's definitely... And again, the, the men are so interchangeable to me, but there's definitely at least one of them who was kind of a late addition. Um, it appears that they just go to film school um, together, and that's kind of their connection. And since they're in different disciplines, that maybe they wouldn't interact all that much. Okay, yeah, you probably get the sense that Heather like paid them 100 bucks each to come out and film with her. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to go through the town of Burkittsville, formerly Blair, and we meet this old woman, Mary Brown. Anything to say about crazy old Mary Brown? <laughs> no, just that she's fun. I, I think that there's – because the reason that this scene resonates with so many people is because they probably know a Mary Brown from their hometown. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read some trivia about Mary Brown. So if people who have not seen this movie, there's this crazy old woman who lives in a cabin who tells them all about the Blair Witch and these missing kids from the 1940s. Apparently, when they filmed this movie, they went around to some college and they put up ads. They said, we need locals. We need extras to be in our movie. And they didn't get any college students, but they got this old woman who ended up playing Mary Brown. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't even a college student. She was just someone who saw the ad and answered to be in their movie. And they liked the way she looked, so they made her crazy old Mary Brown. But like they, I think I read somewhere they referred to her as the world's oldest college student because they recruited her on a college billboard. Yeah, <laughs> which is great. Um and she, you know, she does say that she once saw the Blair Witch and describes the Blair Witch as hairy, half human, half animal, um, which I think, again, coming from the Pacific Northwest just makes me think of Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah, we've seen that. That, that yeah. doesn't impress us. <laughs> yeah, okay, so then they go through the town and they interview all these locals. And again, this is a fun scene. And apparently these were all planted by the producers, so these weren't improvisers although i think the lady with the kid i think i read somewhere that she was not briefed on the blair witch and she just made up her whole story and this is the one with the little kid the, the little kid doesn't want her mom to talk about the scary thing do you remember that oh yeah that was great <laughs> <laughs> i was reading some trivia that that lady just reeled all this story off the top of her head and then walked away and they tried to get her to sign a release form so they could put her in the movie but they could never track her down so she's in the movie without a release form oh wow that's one of those I would love to see her, like, appear on TikTok <laughs> and just be like, it was me. <laughs> Doing the Blair Witch dance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, see, so all these locals, so, and again, it's the, the myth is all over the place, like Casey said. There's missing kids in the 1940s and the 1800s. There's haunted woods. There's an evil witch. We don't really know what the truth is. So from here on out, it's just our three heroes in handheld cameras showing in first person going out into the woods by themselves, and uh, it, it is not going to end well. Yeah. <laughs> so where do they go first? They go to Coffin Rock, right? Yeah, Coffin Rock. So this is where, theoretically, a ritualistic murder happened, um, and then the bodies that were discovered were later missing. When someone went to get help and come back, they were no longer there. I think you left out some of the grisly details what happened to these poor guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, ritualistic, I think, can have a lot of 
um, layers to it. Yeah, these these poor hunters were killed and bad things happened to them. And I'll just say disemboweled would be one word. But yeah, so horrible things happened out here at this place. And this is where Heather wanted to hike to film the documentary. And at this point, they probably have enough to do the movie, except she's going to get greedy. This is where she wants to go to the cemetery right afterwards. All right, so let's talk about this trek to the cemetery. Um, so this is where we first start to get the bickering. Um, and, you know, people are saying it's too late to go there. It's not what we planned. Um, they're not exactly sure where to, how to get there. And so already this, this stress is amping up. Yeah, this is, uh, the problem is Heather knows where she wants to go and it's not necessarily on the map. And the guys don't realize that at first. So there will be a lot of bickering over if she knows where she's going. And again, it's just kind of subtle at first. They're still goofing around. They're not really taking this legend seriously. Although, if I recall, the first night in their tent, they do hear something in the woods. And they just kind of laugh it off. And Heather's like, oh, that's that's cool. We want that. That makes it more authentic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that will not be her attitude in a couple days. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's one of those things when you're in the woods where it's easy the first time you hear a noise to kind of pass it off as a smaller animal or just the sound of trees falling in the distance, but things are going to build over time that are going to make it more dramatic. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it starts off, it's still kind of lighthearted and fun. There's a little bickering, but not a lot. And it's going to start to get creepy right here. Let's see. I think I have night three or four. I forget. Or day three, mm -hmm. day three, they get to the cemetery. Now, this is the one with all the little rock piles. Kind of describe this one to people. Yeah, so they're what I would call cairns, which um, out here in the Pacific Northwest are often created by hippie hikers. Uh, but out in these woods, you get kind of a more sinister vibe <laughs> to these cairns. And um, they find them around their tent, three of them. And so it's it's really creepy because it insinuates that these cairns are for them. And I, I, again, I'm not super familiar with like Irish lore, but I believe that there's kind of a a um, grave marker aspect to cairns. Yeah, that's it's kind of implied in the movie. I don't know any more about Irish stuff than you do, but yeah, there. <laughs> when we see these stacks of rocks, there's seven of them out in the woods, seven little burial mounds. And you get the impression these represent the seven dead kids that were killed in the cabin. We kind of heard about that earlier in the movie. Yeah. And then later that night, they're, when they're sleeping, they hear cracking and crashing out in the woods. They're like, what is all this stuff? And when they wake up, they have the three Cairns, Cairns, Cairns. How do you pronounce that? I, I said Cairns, but it might be Karn or something. All right, we'll go with you. We'll blame Casey for this. Cairns. <laughs> yes. They find three of them around their tent in the morning, symbolizing basically, oh, you three are going to be next. Yeah, and I think this is the first kind of moment where I think anyone would be scared. Like, I'm terrified throughout most of the movie because of just the stress involved. Um, but I think if you were in this situation in real life, this would be the, okay, it's time to go moment for most people. <laughs> and to be fair, I think it is for the two guys. They just are overruled. Yes, and unfortunately, this is around the same time that Heather realizes that she can't find the map. Okay, yeah, there's a couple things that are important here besides the map. The map is one. 
Uh, I forgot that Heather isn't really sure if she believes in the Blair Witch, this nonsense. But then when they have the, the little Cairns outside their, their tent that one morning, Josh accidentally knocks one over and she kind of freaks. She's like, don't knock yeah. those over. So you can see Heather's starting to believe perhaps we not, might not want to mess with the spirits out here. And then we get that first night when they have all the crashing, all the, 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 it's like breaking branches and cackling and noises outside their cat. That scene is terrifying. I, I hate that scene in the theater. That was, uh, oh my God, I couldn't handle that. Yeah. And the sound is, is palpable. It's so loud. It's like coming into your skull and shaking around. And yeah, I think that any, again, anyone in this situation in real life would be terrified and so to say that this movie is not scary is insane. Yeah, it's the fear of the woods. That's the thing I, I really think has to get across to people. That fear of the woods is ridiculous. So, yes. yeah, so they hear all these crashing and cracking around them as they're sleeping. And again, keep in mind, this is pitch dark. You're in the woods. There's no light whatsoever. And what the actors were experiencing is the director, the producers and directors, just basically breaking tree branches and throwing them outside their cabin, just trying to scare the crap out of them. Well, and what's also scary about camping in the woods, especially in a tent, is you are very aware of how thin that fabric is, but it's also your only safety. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's very thin. It's you are you're never more aware of how thin a tent is until about two in the morning when there's something loud outside. Yeah. And I, I talked earlier about, you know, one of my first favorite movies was Jurassic Park. And there's also a very iconic T-Rex in a tent scene in the second Jurassic Park movie. And I think there's just something about that. Like we put up these, you know, little soft walls to make ourselves feel secure when we're out in the woods, but it's, it's not going to protect you from anything. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, if a bear wants to get in there, a bear is getting in there and a bear is not the only thing that can come and come and get you out there. Exactly. In fact, at one point in this movie, I kind of forgot about this where, you know, they're debating, there's these weird cracking sounds around us. It's, it's weird at night. We have these rock cairns. And then Mike, I think says, I don't even know if I believe in the witch. I just am scared of locals out here messing with us. Yeah, and that would be a reasonable thing to be afraid of. Well, because, yeah, they've been announcing to all these people in town, all these creepy little hill folk that were going into your woods, and they've made, especially these two fishermen who are real skeptical of them. Like, if you've seen the movie Deliverance, like, I, I think that's the first thing that would cross your mind, being in the woods with these locals messing with you and trying to scare you. Like, this is not Scooby-Doo. This is terrifying. Yeah, it's very scary. And I think, yeah, so you're right. There was a lot building to this moment with the three Cairns and the map going missing. And so we're already just day three in this journey and just so destitute. Yeah, and I think if I recall, this movie is eight days long. So on day three, the night, that's when they... Uh... I don't know, the Cairns show up on day three or four, something like that. And from here on out, it's basically four days of hell of them being lost because, like you said, they're they're taking shortcuts through the woods because Heather, Heather knows where she's going and she's got the compass. They're trying to get back from the cemetery. And she not only does she get them lost, but now they lose the map. And this is where they all turn on each other and just start freaking out. Yeah, because we realize that it's revealed later that Mike had kicked the map into the creek earlier when he was frustrated and that's where this human element comes into this movie. And again, whether you believe in the Blair witch or not, that's 
horrifying that you could be stuck in the woods with someone you're not that close with and that they would sabotage you in this way. <laughs> you know, it's funny as I read, I was reading some trivia about this movie that, you know, these three actors didn't know each other. They were just thrown out there in the woods to live in the tent for a while. Heather Donahue literally brought a knife with her because she was not comfortable spending two nights in the woods with these two guys she didn't know. Yeah, which is a fair reaction. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you can feel it. You can And you can sense that tension. In fact, I think I read when Heather Donahue first started reading the script and understanding what this movie was like, she accused the producer. She's like, is this a snuff film? Are you going to kill us out there? And like, she was not kidding. She really thought it sounded like a yeah. snuff film. Well, and again, that just lays into the idea that these actors were actually terrified because that is, again, a reasonable thing to assume. My my horror movie survival senses would be going in panic mode if I was in this situation, either as the actor or as the character in the movie. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the most fascinating thing when watching this movie. How much of this is the, the person, the actor, and how much is the character? Because I know they literally just threw these people out in the woods. They say, you're going to hike 10 miles today. You're going to hike 10 miles tomorrow. We're just going to F with you as you're going. And I know the, I know the director's purposefully gave them less food every day and less water every day because they wanted them stressed and panicked. It sounds like another piece of media that we share in common. Yeah, we're going to talk about that at the end. I really want to talk about that. <laughs> that's, a, that's an asterisk for later. <laughs> yeah, that's the most fascinating thing for both Casey and me about this the movie. But yeah, so it's really hard to deduce how much of this is them acting and how much of this is this, this just them being terrified and hungry and pissed that this is going on. Well, and I think you can see that in this scene where, you know, Heather and Mike really turn or Josh and Heather turn on Mike in this moment and they're just furious about the map. And then you get the moment where everyone realizes that fighting isn't going to solve anything and they have to forge on with some kind of plan. And that's that's a realistic thing that maybe anyone has been through, whether it's, you know, an argument with a customer service agent or, <laughs> you know, that moment of defeat where it's like, we just have to get somewhere. We can't stay here. Yeah, we can hate each other all we want, but we're all we have right now. Yeah. And so they decide to to head south and, and use the compass that they have because they know eventually that will lead to some kind of civilization. <laughs> yeah, okay. So here we go. So as if being lost in the woods without a map with two people you hate isn't bad enough. Now we get what I like to call the voodoo scene where yeah. they're just walking through the woods and Mike's like, hey, guys, I see some stuff. And they're like, what stuff? Voodoo stuff. <laughs> and this is where we get the iconic image that everybody would have remembered in 1999, the little stick figures. Yeah. And I think this is something that I find really intriguing. Again, a lot of the horror of this movie is stuff that I can tie back to my own experiences but I remember growing up that um, I grew up near apple orchards and a lot of times the orchardists would make these toys for their dogs that were like an X of sticks that went through some of the softer apples, like the, the ones that weren't fit for selling. And so they were these creepy X's and eventually the apples would like rot and you would find them all over the place and they looked ritualistic they did they had this like creepy characteristic and i think that this is something that you know in this moment you would believe to be voodoo but maybe in less stressful times you could try to think of a reason why these would be out here 
Well, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, you could see these as the kids would hang these out in the orchard, these little homemade stick figures. But when you're terrified and running away from a witch and scared in the woods and it's getting dark, they look a lot like little hangmen. Yeah, or or totems or uh, representation of kids that have been murdered or whatever you want to tie to this convoluted lore that you're studying. And I would say, I will say, uh, to put people back in the mindset of this movie, how big this movie was, anytime you'd go camping, like after this movie for the next couple of years, it would always be fun to make a little stick figure and hang it up just to freak out the next person who was walking behind mm-hmm. you. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. A little Washington State humor for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the voodoo stuff is now terrifying them. Now they start to realize either there is something evil out in the woods, or again, it's just some local messing with them, which is no less scary. Like, I wouldn't want locals coming after me out in the woods. Well, and I would question, you know, if I'm having all these fights about being lost, if the locals were just having harmless fun, why haven't they tried to help me by now? It's a good point. Yep. <laughs> And so clearly it's not harmless fun, whether it's a local or a demon or a witch. <laughs> yes. Once you're in the woods by yourself, nothing's fun. I'm sorry. I don't I don't care how cute that little squirrel is. He still could kill you. <laughs> well, and I think this this night is when the noises that they've been hearing really escalate. You start to hear children <laughs> and a noise that doesn't sound, you know, human or animal that I can't even describe. Um, and then the the tent is shaken. Yeah, okay, if you've never seen this movie yet, this is the night five. This is where the ass hits the fan here, where literally the actors are in the tent, and they're just getting ready to go to bed, and they know the producers are going to mess with them every night, so they don't know what's coming. So first the producers blasted the sound of screaming and crying and giggling children out in the woods as loud as they could, which is creepy enough, but then the producers just started bashing the tent with sticks. <laughs> Which, imagine that happening when you're not expecting it. Yeah, and I think this is the moment when they they flee and they decide to take their chances in the woods instead of the tent, which really shows how terrified you would have to be. Because most people, you know, we talk about fight or flight, but there's a third option, which is freeze. And that's what most people actually do when they're scared. <laughs> And they chose flight in this moment. <laughs> yeah, and there's a couple there's a couple interesting trivia things I remember about this scene I just read. Um, so this scene is so unnerving if you see it in the theater. The crying children out in the woods in the pitch dark. My God, I just remember that. Like I don't I don't want to watch this movie. This is too much for me. But so they get their 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 tent starts getting hit by sticks. They all start screaming, and it's real terror. You can hear these real screams. They're running out in the woods, and at one part Heather turns to the left and she says oh my god what the f is that what the f is that what the f is that yeah in the movie we don't see anything and that's kind of one of the criticisms of this movie you never actually see the villain but did you read the trivia about this scene i'm not sure you're aware of this no i i haven't what was happening was running to their left was one of the producers in a full white bodysuit with a white <gasps> ski mask running alongside them and it was glowing in the dark and that's why it was so scary that's that was the image they saw it's like a oh ghost my God. but the cameraman i think it was probably josh forgot to turn to the left and film it see i think that's probably better <laughs> that's yeah that's the argument that you that it's it's scarier what you don't see yeah i think you know i, I referenced jaws earlier but that's kind of what makes Jaws stick out as a good monster movie or creature feature is that you don't see the shark for like 
two thirds of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, that would have got a jump in the theater, seeing this bright white person running alongside them. But yeah, so it's just one of these happy little accidents. They forgot to turn the camera to the left. So you have Heather screaming at something that she can see and we were supposed to see, and they just didn't have the budget or the time to go back and film it again. So they left it out. But so that is one of the arguments of this movie. You never see the bad guy, but the filmmakers would say, well, we intended to. We just screwed up. Well, if they screwed up, I think it's, yeah, definitely a happy accident because I think the discourse then would be that was cheesy, that didn't look good, you know, that didn't look like a witch or a ghost, it looked like a man in a suit. (laughs) Which admittedly is just as scary, I have to say. (laughs) Yeah, but I think we got enough of it from her reaction to be scared. (laughs) Yeah, I agree, you didn't need it, it's not necessary. Yeah. Okay, so so they run off into the woods, and they just kind of hunker down in a field and sleep. And this is the problem. Like, the daytime is fine when they're hiking. The night is terrifying, and it's getting worse every night. And, yeah, it's escalating. Yeah, it's escalating, and it's going to get worse, so get ready. So now they go back to their camp, and they find that all their stuff has been rustled through and taken, and especially Josh's stuff. And this is really going to freak Josh out because – there's the slime all over his stuff and nobody else's. And it really absolutely, it makes him break down basically. Yeah. Yeah. He, he really starts to lose it at this point. And it's interesting because, you know, earlier on the day before it's Josh and Heather versus Mike, because Mike's the one that kicked the map into the river. And now it's really Mike and Heather versus Josh, because they're recognizing that he's absolutely losing it. Yeah, I was, okay, I was reading some more trivia about this movie, too. If you, if you watch the movie, we do have to differentiate between the two guys here, unfortunately, Casey. Yes. <laughs> in the movie, mostly Josh is quiet. He's the cameraman. Mike is the one yelling at Heather. Mm-hmm. And I was reading in the original footage, it was basically Josh yelling at Heather. He was even more violent and angry towards Heather than Mike was. But they had to cut most of that out because it just felt like the two guys bullying Heather. Yeah, and I think that's also a good choice. And it's okay to have a quiet one in the group who starts to crack. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But in real life, he was the one who was really, even the actor was yelling at Heather, the actor, and the producers had to like separate them at one point because it was getting too personal. So like, again, the stress in this movie is real. That's why, like I say, as an empath, I can pick it up. It's, it's a little too much for me. And it's, it's going to get worse here because Josh's stuff has all been messed with. It's got this slime, this uh, ectoplasm or whatever all over it. And he's like, Guys, I don't want to go to bed tonight. And they're stuck out in the woods. I think this is where they they realize they're going in circles, right? Yeah, this is when they see a log over a stream that they are certain they've seen before. And the the other frightening thing about the woods is they may have seen it before, or it may be a completely different log. And they don't know, and we don't know. And there's no way to know when you're in the woods, because eventually a tree is a tree. Exactly. Yeah. And and again, they have no map. Their compass, they're not even sure is working right. They're horrified. They've been walking for like two full days. They're in the exact same spot they started as. They're all just breaking down. And like I said, they're starting to fear the dark, which as an audience member in the theater, I was definitely fearing the dark. I don't want to see any more dark scenes that it's coming. And Josh is like me. They're coming for me. Why is my stuff? Why did it get all the slime on it? And they're like, oh, we don't know. It's going to get bad, Josh. Don't worry about it. He's like, no, I know it happens every night. And so it's just growing disquiet and uh, paranoia as this next night, night six, is coming. And I think this is where Heather tries to reassure them. Guys, nothing bad will happen to us. We're in America. 
Nobody gets lost in America. Someone will find us. Yeah, and, you know, theoretically they have families and professors and people who know that they are out there, and when they don't come back, you know, that's always the hope when you're lost in the woods, right? When I don't come back, someone's going to come looking for me. Yeah, I, I also think at one point Heather, <laughs> Heather follows up on this argument by saying, there's not that many trees. Guys, this is America. We've ruined all our, national, all our natural resources, <laughs> so we'll be able to walk out of here soon. Which is very... Um, timely now for a movie that came out in 1999 <laughs> i could totally see you know my my younger sibling making that argument <laughs> okay so we're almost at the end of the movie i mean i i can't believe i'm almost at the end of my notes here that so the next morning this is the morning of nights of morning seven that they sleep there in the night and they know something bad's going to happen and we don't see anything visibly bad happening during the night six but when they wake up on morning seven Josh is gone and we don't see him disappear. We just realize he's not there anymore. Yeah, he's gone. And since, you know, he's been our cameraman this whole time, someone else now has to take over filming. And throughout the movie, there's been arguments of like, why are you filming this? We're not doing anything. <laughs> and so that's only going to continue. Um, just adding yet another layer of stress. And now they can't find their friend. Now, is this the morning or the next morning when they find the pieces of Josh? This is, I think it's the next morning. First, they hear him screaming in the night. Okay. Okay, yeah, let me set the paint the picture. So, yeah, the, the day Josh disappears, basically Mike and Heather just wait at camp, waiting for Josh to come back because they don't want to leave him. He never comes back. So that night, as they're sleeping, they hear the creepy sounds of, now it's not sticks breaking outside. Now it's not their tent being bashed. Now it's not children crying or, or giggling now it's josh screaming help help me no yeah and they this is when you start to see them crack about the blair witch because it's explicitly stated that the blair witch is messing with him with them and he's not really out there yeah this is this is really unnerving it's a long scene of them in the dark just hearing their buddy screaming help no and they're just crying and again you can hear the crying. You can hear the hyperventilating and the deep breathing. I don't personally think that's acting. I think that's Heather Donahue going through some crap right now. Yeah, I think that, um, and she, you know, she is the one who wasn't sure about the Blair Witch and wasn't buying into it. And now she's the one saying, we can't go after him. It's not real. Yeah, this is a, okay. And we're at the end of the movie basically here. We go to day eight. And day eight opens, and it's just uh, Mike and Heather, and they're all out of food, and they're just done. And I think they find one last pack of cigarettes so they can smoke together, and they kind of huddle together. And it's just them. It's so sad because they know they're going to die. And that's like the worst part in this movie. Like you said, they don't technically really do anything wrong at a certain point. It's just inevitable. Yeah, and this is when they find, you know, the packet. It's like a bunch of sticks tied together with a piece of Josh, Josh's shirt and they find teeth and hair or she does I don't think she tells Mike yeah and she finds it's uh Josh's hair teeth and blood and she just starts screaming and crying but she doesn't tell Mike she just knows that's us we're next yeah and um that's when we have the iconic scene of her turning the camera on herself um, it's like the super close up of her face, uh, parodied in scary movie. 
and <laughs> she's apologizing to everyone on the project, her family, Josh's family, Mike's family, because she thinks that they're about to die and it's her fault. Yeah, okay, so this is night eight. So day eight finishes. It's just Mike and Heather waiting for their deaths, which is bad enough. And then at night, yeah, so you just see the sun starting to set, and they show all this creepy tree imagery and stuff, and then we get the shot that you just talked about, Casey, where Heather turns the camera on herself and basically films her video diary, which, again, people make fun of the scene and parody it, but boy, this is a raw speech to listen to. Yeah, it really is, and she's you know, crying aggressively. And the the joke is that she has a snot bubble, but it's, it just, again, makes it more real. Like you wouldn't wipe your nose in that moment. <laughs> yeah. I was reading the the producers wanted her to center the shot. They didn't want it off center like that, but they loved the shot up her nose. And there was the snot and the tears. And it looked so real that they're like, we can't cut that out. That's too effective. We can't change well, that. This isn't, again, people who are younger, maybe watching this movie, this isn't a camera phone. This is a giant piece of equipment that you are facing at yourself. There's only so much distance you can get from it. Yeah, and I remember watching this scene in the theater because she's off to the right, she's in the bottom right, and off to the left is just a huge circle of black. Yeah, it's just pure darkness. I swore. I'm like, something's going to come materializing out of that dark, like Michael Myers mask in Halloween, and I'm going to crap my pants. And that's what I thought when I was watching this movie, and that's what people forget. There's no payoff. There's no jump scares, but you're expecting it the entire movie. You, it never goes away. And that's that tension that, that you don't get a break from. It's like, it doesn't matter that nothing appears there. It's the anticipation mm -hmm. of it. It's so, even watching it now, I'm like, I know a face is going to pop up over there. Because that's what <laughs> horror movies do. And that's why Blair Witch is a little different. But her speech, yeah, it's, it's I think I read it was improvised. She kind of made it up on the spot. Again, Heather Donahue should have got a lot of praise for this movie. It's yeah, It's all her. And the lines at the end, like I know she's apologizing to everybody, but the end at the end where she says, I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them. And she's looking all around. Her eyes are darting because she knows, like we said, there's noises in the woods you can't explain. I mean, you kind of know what they are, but you don't want to know. I don't want to know. Well, in those two sentences alone, I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them. Like as a tagline for a horror movie, that's so effective. It's great. And then she ends it with, I'm going to die out here. And she's just crying and shaking. And it's it feels so real. I've never seen a, a scene quite like that in another horror movie, I don't think. Yeah, and I think the fact that, that these two characters have resigned themselves to death earlier in the day is also telling because it's human nature to try to survive. That's how we get zombie apocalypse movies. That's how we get, you know, a ton of like survival films and, and natural disaster films. And if you hit that moment where you accept death, you're you're pretty broken down. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not entirely sure she's acting. No. <laughs> I think she's ready for this eight day shoot to be over. Yeah, she, I don't know how much they paid her for this movie, but it was not enough because Heather. Ugh. Oh yeah. We, we're not even to the end yet. Okay. Now no. we're to the very, very end of the movie. Now we're going to probably debate this one. This is a little debatable if they, if they, if they nail this ending quite right, let me set it up for you. So they, uh, it's the it's that night, night eight, and she's just giving her tear her farewell speech to the camera, and they're laying in the tent, and now they start hearing screams. They hear the Josh again calling, "Help, please help me." And yesterday they did not go out and look for Josh, but tonight they do. Yeah. 
Now, why? What, what changed? Why do, you, why do you think they go out this? I think they don't they don't fear what's going to happen anymore. I think they're they're pretty resigned, and it's now it's just curiosity. Yeah, I, I, they just want to get it over with, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say that. That's almost scarier than not saying that. But yeah, they they just want to get the death over with. They're tired of the torment. Yeah. And so, yeah, they follow the cries and they find what looks like a derelict cabin. Um, and out front is the same stick figure that they had seen in the woods. Yeah, this is uh, they hear Josh crying from the inside. It's uh, this end scene is very Silence of the Lambsy. It's a. Uh, you know, night vision, going through a house, trying to figure out where this hostage is, where this screaming voice is coming from. And this this house is so creepy. It's like all dilapidated. It was a real house they just found out in the woods, I heard. Which is also horrifying. <laughs> yeah. And there's children handprints all over the wall, if you remember that all these children died. And now we get to the end of the movie where we hear someone in the basement saying, help, help, help. So Mike runs down first. Yeah, and I think that's another interesting choice between these two characters, that Mike is running full force at this, and Heather's kind of hanging back. And so Mike gets to the basement first, um, and you hear maybe some kind of struggle, and then you hear silence. And even scarier, you see his camera fall to the ground and just start filming the ground. Yeah, and so then you hear Heather run down, looking for him he's not answering she gets to the basement um and then the, her camera catches mike facing the wall and then she screams her camera drops and there's only silence and that's that call back to one of the legends that we heard about the the child serial killer killing in pairs yeah it's okay i gotta talk about this for a second because i know I knew a lot of people that came out of this movie the first time in 99 in the theater. They didn't understand that ending. They didn't get what happened. Mm -hmm. And it's because the, the setup earlier, for people who don't know this movie, there's a story that this old hermit took these kids into a cabin. He wanted to kill them two at a time, but he couldn't, he couldn't handle one of them watching while the other one died. So he'd make one little kid stand and look in the corner while he killed the first one. Then he'd kill the one in the corner. That's not really harped on much in the movie. It's just kind of a throwaway scene. So if you don't remember that, this ending is it comes very quick. And I think that that is somewhat of a flaw in the movie. Yeah, I think that it's it's one of those things where you kind of have to buy into the movie from the very beginning. And so you would remember something like that. I remember remembering it, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, I remember the first time watching it, knowing exactly what I was looking at at the end. And it, it, for me, was super effective. It took my breath away. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I can recognize that criticism or see how it would be a flaw, even if it had been referenced, like, one more time in the movie. If they're having, you know, maybe when they're not quite lost yet, if they're all just going over notes one night or something, um, I could see that working. But I think that it is effective because you don't necessarily know what happened. You don't know if they died then, if they have walked into some kind of woods Bermuda triangle, and that's why no one will ever find them. Um, you just don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember I had one uh, friend at the time said, 
what happened at the ending? Like she goes in the cabin and the guy's taking a piss in the corner. And I'm like, no, that's, yeah. that's not what happened. So that's not what's yeah. happening. <laughs> but in the filmmaker's defense, I think they only had one take to get this correct. Yeah. So they, it's, it's filmed very quickly. And if you get it, I think it's a great ending that Heather's about to die. Jai, or Mike's in the corner. He'll die next. And they all get killed by some mysterious force. But I do understand the criticism. The ending is very abrupt. And you really have to remember one key scene for it to really to, to sink in for you. Well, and this is where I, I like the idea of kind of putting yourself in the place of one of the characters. Like, if I'm Heather, that's exactly how much time I have to recognize what's happening. And so for me, it works. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing that really works for me is that we never see Josh again. We hear him screaming and then that's it. And so it's like, is there a supernatural force that is somehow projecting his voice? Is he the Blair Witch? Is he possessed? Or are they all just hallucinating from being lost in the woods and hungry for days? <laughs> now, have you heard the alternative uh, interpretation of this ending? Uh, no, I would love to hear it. There's some film critic out there who has posited this ending, which I'd never really thought of before, but it actually does work if you go with it, that Josh and Mike just wanted to kill Heather out in the woods, and this is how they do it. Ooh, okay. That's interesting, actually, because I think there's something to be said about, you know, most of our fears are human. And even the fact that this um, lore that they're following of him standing in the corner, if, if we're believing that this is what happened, that they killed her, then they're following that lore which was the only lore that was distinctly human. It was a serial killer, you know, but that happened in the forties. There's no way it's the same guy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, again, I'd never thought of that possible ending, but it does work. If you look at the clues and I know the filmmakers didn't intend that, but if you want to look at it as just two creepy guys wanting to lure a girl out to the woods, mess with her and then kill her, it technically fits the story here. Yeah, or even that they're all actually lost, but they've just had it with her. Or they blame her or, you know, what have you, and they still want to kill her and try to find their own way out. Yeah, but but again, that is the ending presented in the film. I think I read they scripted it four different ways, how they were going to do it, how they're going to do the reveal. This is the one they went with. It's really the only violently scary scene in the movie i would say everything else is just unnerving yeah. and creepy but this is the one scary scene and that's kind of the criticism some people have the movie doesn't have a payoff which again I'd, I'd argue it doesn't really need it it works just fine but if you need your movie to have a payoff i guess you could be right on that one yeah and i think i mean for me it, it is a payoff and so i guess that's where it becomes pretty subjective um i think that you know, it pays off something that if you were paying attention, you saw earlier in the movie, it pays off their mental state that they've just walked into danger because they just they know that it's coming. Um, and then the fact that we already know that this footage was found, you know, over a year later is also a payoff because now I'm saying, well, how was this footage found? Did someone find this cabin and they found the footage, but not the bodies or, um, did, you know, did this entity or this murderer or whatever happened want this footage to be found? And so I, I can go down a, a rabbit hole and really start to wonder about the lore. And I know there are sequels to this movie. I have not watched them. <laughs> Um, but I think that it had potential 
with that lore. Um, and so I, they, they weren't re well reviewed. So I decided not to sully my vision, but I can see how someone would potentially have a, a sequel in mind based on the fact that even just that this footage was eventually discovered. Yeah. See, for me, I just generally don't do sequels if I don't have to. And it almost offended me that they would make a sequel to this movie because I thought it was so <laughs> unique and so perfect. I'm like, don't turn it into a franchise. Come on. Yeah, I think I know the second one is like a highly produced, you know, Hollywood movie. And I don't know much else than that. Um, and then the recent sequel, like 2006, is a relative of one of this original three like trying to figure out what happened. So that's a little more interesting to me, but I probably still won't see it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I always remember seeing this in the theater. I used to see movies opening weekend every time they were a big movie back in the day. So I saw this opening weekend. I just remember the theater just kind of being stunned silent afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I, I took that. This is my mistake. I took that as everyone in the movie was so affected and thought it was so awesome. They didn't know what to say. And so then I went back to work the next day. There was this girl I used to work with. I forget her name, but we used to talk about all the movies we saw. And I said, hey, I saw Blair Witch. And she was really excited to see it. And I'm like, wasn't it amazing? And she said, I thought it sucked. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like, I, that was the first thing, time in my head. I really had a cognitive dissonance that someone saw this movie and thought that it sucked. Like, I honestly could not relate to that mindset at the time. Yeah, and the only thing I can chalk it up to is that people who feel that way have never been in the woods. Like, I just don't understand how you can have spent any significant time in the woods and not find this scary. Yeah. Not only that, but like, like we keep saying the fear, you can sense the actor's fear in particular, the finale, by the way, listen to Heather Donahue's breathing and her hyperventilating when Mike is running down the stairs at the start. Yeah. You can hear, I read, she actually had a, a nervous breakdown. She was hyperventilating so hard. They had to stop filming for a couple, little bit. <laughs> She was actually like, like just being in the woods, you can relate to that watching this movie, but just being able to pick up the fear in these actors. Like, I don't get how this movie doesn't affect some people. I really, I have no way to relate to that. Well, and even the kind of, I don't consider myself like a student of film. I enjoy movies and I watch them. Um, but I know a lot of people who, you know, either create film or consider it like a, a, a academic discipline you know that they study and to me i'm like even if that's the angle you're coming in from how can you not see just how unique this production was and and how yeah you get this really raw performance out of these actors you know people talk about kubrick like terrorizing Shelley Duvall on the set of The Shining and like, but look at her performance. And I'm like, yeah, but look at the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> yeah, they did that to three people in this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, from an academic film point of view, perhaps this isn't a masterpiece, but like just as an experiment in what you can get away with in cinema and what kind of different fears you can give to the audience and how you can virally market it through the internet and make people think it's real, like, this is easily one of the 10 biggest movies of my lifetime and what a big deal it was. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you talk about parody and and things like Scary Movie and other things that have kind of used some of the scenes of this movie. And to me, parody is still flattery. Like, you can't deny the effect this movie had that that many people did a play on it. <laughs> 
Yeah, there had been found footage movies before, like you said. There had been movies that they tried to pass off as being real, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They tried to pass that off. So none of this was new, but like none of it had combined in a package quite like Blair Witch that combined with the Internet, combined with the you know, like word of mouth through, you know, social or not social media, but just what you could do on the Internet to market these movies nowadays and, you know, publicize that the actors are dead in the Internet movie database. Yeah, there had never been anything like Blair Witch before. There never will be anything like it. It's just one of those lightning in a bottle moments in time that, again, is really significant to movies. And I think more people really need to uh, appreciate that. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I wonder is, do we need a documentary about the Blair Witch Project, like the, the production of the Blair Witch Project? Because it's so hard for me to explain that moment in the internet like i said i have much younger siblings who grew up with the internet and in its current form and so they can't wrap their heads around how you couldn't just fact check something like that <laughs> one day you know one day netflix will do like a four-part documentary on the making of blair witch and everyone will be suddenly all excited about blair witch again yeah and i would watch that with so much enjoyment <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we were like, we, we've known that for years. Why do you people just like this stuff now? We've always known this. Yeah, it's kind of like, and I mean, the era is right because, you know, we just had competing documentaries about Woodstock 99, which is the same year. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, we're, the people are ready to see what what was going on in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about some of the legacy of this movie slash the fallout from this movie. Again, made Entertainment Weekly's list of the scariest movies of all time, super hyped up, and then the backlash started where everyone said, oh, I hate that movie, it's not that scary at all. So, like, the the ratings for this on IMDb were all over the place over the years. It's really always been like that. Uh, let's see. The town of Burkittsville, where it was filmed, is that a real town or is Burkittsville fictional, do you know? I think it's a real town. I think that it used to be called Blair is like the fiction so that they could tie it in. But I read that that town hates this movie <laughs> because so many people have come to Burkittsville and stolen the welcome to Burkittsville sign and have overrun the cemetery. And at one point, so many people were going out to that cabin in the woods that the city had to tear it down. So like the city itself has kind of have a love hate relationship with this movie because it really brought all these tourists to their town they didn't want. Uh, let's see. Heather Donahue had a hard time finding work after this movie. She said she was harassed by creepy fans. She had people always bothering her. She literally had to change her name. If you look up her name, it's not Heather. I kind of forget what it is now. Like it's Ray Hans. Yeah, that's her name. And she's not like hidden. She runs a medical marijuana uh, business something now. But I've seen her on podcasts before. I am curious what she thinks about this movie 25 years later. So I just looked at her profile on Letterboxd out of curiosity, and it looks like she is featured in some way in the 2016 Blair Witch movie. So that's interesting. <laughs> okay, so she didn't 100% turn her back on it. Yeah, she, she at least took the opportunity to reappear. And now we got to talk about uh, Survivor. Oh, <laughs> uh, Survivor. Yeah, so I had actually seen on survivor reddit a post you had made about the connection between this movie and survivor but i don't want to retell it i definitely want to hear it from you <laughs> okay yeah it's funny even survivor fans don't know this that they i, I wrote a book a couple years ago called uh, when it was worth playing for which is about the first couple seasons of survivor and right when i was about to publish that book 
I happened to see a TV show that really opened my eyes to what Survivor is. And it was a TV show, I think, called The Movies That Made Us or The Movies That Made America or something. And one of them was on the Blair Witch Project, talking about what an influential movie this was. And they had Mark Burnett, the producer of Survivor, on there, literally talking. He was a talking head interview about Blair Witch Project. And he was saying, you know, there's no Survivor if there's not the Blair Witch Project. He goes, that's what people don't really understand is that they're the exact same concept. You starve these people. You take away all of their water, all their food. You want to get natural reactions out of them. You want them to fight. You want them to have a conflict. You do that by taking away their resources. You basically film what happens in a very stressful situation and you edit it into a movie afterwards. And he's like, that's all Survivor is. It's the same thing. And he's like, we had the hardest time pitching this show to the network. No, no American network wanted to, to show it. It was a, it was a European show they brought to the U S they didn't think it would work in America. And Mark Burnett's like, then Blair Witch happened in 1999. It was the biggest thing ever. Like this was such a big movie. He's like, we pitched our show as it's basically Blair Witch as a game show. And the network is like, that's it. That's what we're doing. That's what we're signing on for. So without Blair Witch Project, there's no survivor. And Mark Burnett even play, pays homage to Blair Witch Project with a challenge in the first season called the Survivor Witch Project, which a lot of people make fun of. They think it's so stupid and dated. I'm like, no, that's Mark Burnett paying tribute to the show that influenced the, the movie that made Survivor happen. And a lot of people don't know this. That's so cool. Yeah, I did not know that until I saw it and read it. And even I think that the the thread was like an unknown fact about Survivor. Mm -hmm. Because anyone who spends significant time on Survivor Reddit, you're going to see a lot of the same topics over and over with new fans coming in. And so I was intrigued to read that one. And that's where I first saw you post about it. And I had no idea. And I think that in general, people had no idea. And a lot of people were responding to that thread about how fantastic that was. It's funny. Like, yeah, don't challenge me on survivor trivia. Most people don't know about, cause that's, I can pull this <laughs> stuff out of nowhere, but it was funny. One guy got in a fight with me on that thread. He's like, Blair, Witch sucked. And I'm like, I'm not debating if it sucks or not. I'm just saying it was a big deal and it influenced survivor. And he's like, well, it sucks as a movie. I'm like, that's you're completely off topic for what the argument is. Oh, you should just drop the link for this podcast <laughs> in that thread. Yes. I'm coming after you user or whatever your name is. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so that's, so, you know, Survivor is the father of all modern reality competition shows, but it's a son of Blair Witch Project. So Blair Witch Project is not just a big movie, not just one of the biggest phenomenons of all time, huge, a huge piece of history of the internet and all this stuff, but it's also the father of all competition reality game shows. So show it some goddamn respect, people. Yeah, that's how I feel. I've been spending, you know, since the dropping a couple seasons on Netflix era and the COVID era and the Winners at War era, I've been trying to spread the good word of Survivor. And I've converted some, but not all. And I'm going to have to just take that, I think, as a win. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to turn this too much into a, into a Survivor podcast, but have you seen all the seasons now? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I had caught a, I had started watching live. uh season 27 and then before winners at war i went back and watched all the ones i hadn't seen okay and i i really hope i'm not going to put you on the spot but you should read my book it's very important yeah no i i hadn't heard of it and i'm very excited to check it out i read the the funny 115 so that's probably my um my connection but yeah i will definitely check out the book okay yeah there's nothing i love for my listeners nothing i love more than introducing people to survivor 
and introducing people to the Blair Witch Project, which inspired Survivor, which is very important. <laughs> so cool. And yeah, I think, I mean, it's really just another ticker on this movie for its impact. Like, I, I don't think you can say that reality TV or television programming in general is what it is today without Survivor. And if you don't have Survivor without the Blair Witch Project, then not only is it changing found footage and horror and, you know, the internet, but it's also changing a seemingly unrelated thing in reality television. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We didn't even get into the impact of this movie on horror movies, but like, it's it's astounding. (laughs) I couldn't even name all the movies that were inspired by the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, there's a ton. And I think, you know, probably the most prominent example for my generation would be Paranormal Activity. So if you're a fan of that movie and for some reason you haven't seen The Blair Witch Project, I would highly recommend it. That's right. This is the OG. Yes. (laughs) All right, uh, Casey, I think we have uh, successfully captured the spirit of The Blair Witch Project. I was I was expecting to be a little more angry at people who don't like this movie, but I couldn't (laughs) I couldn't fit it in there because I was raving about it too much. Yeah, and you know, I think the the best defense maybe in this is a good offense <laughs> instead of the opposite. So that's right. So, anything else you want to talk about, Blair Witch, or uh, any other podcast you're on before we sign off? Um, I'll do a quick plug for my podcast it's called Twenty Four Flames Per Second. Um, the backlog of it is going to be mostly a movie debate format, which is um, two roasters and one defender for any given movie um we recommend starting with a movie you love and a movie you hate to kind of get a feel for the podcast and then starting with our upcoming season we're kind of changing formats to what we call the flame off which is uh two people debating uh best oscar snub or um best disney villain um and so it's kind of changing format we did a couple seasons and realized we were running out of steam on that so i think it's going to be really exciting coming up and here's the important question do you ever need guests on that podcast uh yes always (laughs) all right so hit me up because you know i'm feisty and i love arguing movies with people yes i will definitely keep you in the rotation um especially if i see a theme coming up that i think you would like excellent and once again it was really an honor meeting you um like i said casey and i never met before but i thought we had a good dynamic and i would love to have you back for another episode one day so thank you for doing this yeah, no problem. I'm happy to. I um, I have some weird movie opinions, so <laughs> feel free to shoot me an email anytime you have some weird ones on there that you don't know if someone would rave about as much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you're going to fit in around here just fine. <laughs> okay, once again, thank you thank you guys for listening. My name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until next time, I'll be out there searching for more horror movies that deserve more love, and I sure as hell won't be lost out in the woods while doing it. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. And I insisted. I insisted on everything. I insisted that we weren't lost. I insisted that we keep going. I insisted that we walk south. Everything had to be my way. And this is where we've ended up. And it's all because of me that we're here now. 
hungry and cold and hunted. I love you, Mom. Close my eyes. I'm scared to open them.